Hi there, it's Nick here. Thanks so much for your continued support of the Nick Luck Daily Podcast. Wherever you consume your podcast, it is great to have you with us. I would alert you again to the racing app which is your one-stop shop and the easiest place now to download the show each and every morning as soon as it's ready. Many of you are doing so already, and that's not just because you can get access to all 880 episodes of this show, and very easily as well, but you can also watch live races. You can watch all the replays, and you can stream in the card with an active Fitstairs account. So do download it now, uh, the racing app. It's your one-stop shop and you will be able to catch up on all the previous episodes of your favourite daily racing podcast. You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Good morning, welcome to the show. It's Tuesday, January the 16th. It's extremely cold, but quite bright here in TW11. And the cold snap is starting to take its toll on the racing as well, with fixtures being abandoned left, right and centre. Plumpton is off today. Chepstow in Wales is off today. And we are keeping our fingers crossed anxiously for the weekend, but temperatures got down very low at all three major Saturday venues yesterday. We'll bring you more news when we get a bit closer to the events tomorrow. Uh, first, though, where do we start today? Well, this isn't going to surprise you if you've been listening to Nicky Henderson on this podcast and elsewhere. Uh, Constitution Hill, the most talented and talked about horse in training, won't go to a trials day at the end of the month and will go straight to the Cheltenham Festival off the back of just one run. Lydia Hislop is with me this morning. Lydia, what did Nicky Henderson say yesterday? He said that a routine scope last week wasn't entirely satisfactory and a follow-up this morning, as in Monday morning, shows the issue hasn't been resolved and therefore there would not be time to get him ready for next week, i.e. to run in the Unibet International Hurdle, known to you and I as the Bula. He said that he would reluctantly miss the Bula. Both Michael Buckley, he's referring to the owner, and I and all the team had very much hoped for a better result from the scope this morning so that we could run on Saturday week. So that that, that seems to be a, a, a signal imply a change of mind from Nicky Henderson, who immediately speaking to you on New Year's Day was talking about uh, Trials Day not being a certainty for the horse. Eight days later, he was talking to Newbury Weekly News and talking about how he's gone from the Christmas hurdle to the champion hurdle without uh, a race previously and did the same before when winning the Supreme. He said, I'd like to run him um, if it makes perfect sense, but I'm not convinced it does. So he seemed to be laying the groundwork for a strategic decision to miss the Bula, but now it's a, it's a medical de decision that caused the, causes the horse to miss it, which means he'll be heading to Cheltenham on the basis of just one run. And, um, well, I mean, it's it means that we'll only be seeing the most exciting horse currently in training, potentially, well, the best hurdler for more than 20 years, probably a total of only three times this season. And I suppose it... It creates the worry amongst fans. I mean, e even had he run in the Bula, we have to look at what was planned for this campaign, which would have been fighting fifth Christmas hurdle, Bula, Cheltenham and either Aintree or Punchestown and say that campaign could have been more exciting. It could have been Matheson hurdle rather than Christmas hurdle. It could have been the Irish champion hurdle rather than uh, the international hurdle. Um, and I mention this point because those of us, those of us who look at Constitution Hill and, and look at the horse and think, well, this horse has the potential to be the greatest hurdler potentially of all time and eclipse, say, in the time form list, even night nurse. Uh, but since the setup in the 2022 Supreme, he hasn't really had the kind of race or the kind of calibre of opposition producing their best game on the day to be able to for him to express that level ability. And I suppose... We you know we were we believe that that's what connections wanted to do with him as well, and just express that that utter brilliance. And when you're talking about a horse that's currently in his six rising seven season, now he's now a seven years of age, that would be the time you would think to be campaigning the horse most assertively. And and partly it's circumstance, but also it's to do with the original campaign that has not come to pass. So I mean, I, I would I would like I would like to ensure that future generations of fans know 
that Constitution Hill was the best or certainly one of the best hurdlers of all time, rather than having to craft a, a more difficult argument if he continues to win one-sided races like the Christmas hurdle? Uh, nothing one-sided about the race. His stable companion, John Bond's going to run in on Saturday if it goes ahead at Ascot, but that's got to be open to quite a bit of doubt. And I do hope it does happen. Yes, I mean, so that would I. be incredible, wouldn't it? A really, it really amazing clash. It'd be fabulous between John Bond and El Fabiolo. And interesting to hear Daryl Jacobs' thoughts on it yesterday. And it was a slight irony, given what we've been talking about, that John Bond, by contrast, for the same stable, um, six goes last year, pretty much at the top level, and it'll likely be five or six goes this time as well. And yeah. he's a and he's a chaser. So yes, I mean that's why when it's often suggestion suggested out in sort of social media land that this is a uh, Nicky Henderson trope. You know that not running his horses very often. Well, that's not true if you actually drill down into it. And John Bon, who is being campaigned aggressively, would be an example of that. Indeed, so um, the one race Nicky Henderson is yet to win of any great significance is the Grand National, amazingly. Um, who knows, he might have a contender this year. There'll only be 34 runners, but you'd have thought a mark of 149 would be bang on to get into the race. And that is exactly what Late Night Pass has. 11-year-old homebred by the Ellis family, originally trained by their son, Tom, ridden by their daughter-in-law, Gina, apart from during COVID when amateurs couldn't ride, so her sister, Bridget Andrews, Rode the horse a couple of times and with some distinction as well. Gina got back on, won the Fox Hunters at Aintree, was fourth in the Fox Hunters at Aintree. Horse switched to Dan Skelton, who is the brother of Bridget's husband, Harry. And now we're all set after a victory in the cross-country chase um, last time at Cheltenham for a bid for the Grand National. Gina Andrews joins me. Now, I think I've got the family tree just about right, haven't I, Gina? But what a horse and he's given a lot of pleasure to a lot of people. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, we've done a great job there. <laughs> he surprises us every year. Every time he runs, we think he can't possibly get any better, and he, he seems to be. Um, he's just an unbelievable little horse, and we're very lucky to have him. So take me right back to the beginning then, when your, your in-laws bred the horse and, and you and, and Tom started having anything to do with him. Um, what was the beginning like? Was he a horse of, of any ability? Um, no, I think it took him about five five times to win, um, and... We sort of we sort of said after he ran two or three times, you know, if he wins a maiden point to point, we would have been doing well, really. Um, he'd, he'd been very consistent, but without winning, and we just sort of thought, you know, he he, he was quite small, um, lacked a bit of scope, and just thought, you know, we're probably going to be struggling a bit, to be honest. But um, he once he once he won, he then sort of got it just seemed to get better each time he ran, and and he started winning and. Yeah, it just went from there, really. Um, he was he was, he was tricky to break in. He was a typical homebred, hadn't been handled that much and was a bit feral. Um, but my brother Jack, actually, he broke him in and got him started in life. And then I've, I've basically ridden him every time he's run, apart from when my sister rode him. Yeah, I, I knew there must be one member of the family jigsaw puzzle that I was missing out. So, so fair play to Jack. I mean, Jack on him must have looked even more ridiculously tall than he is already. Yeah, we've got this picture of when he first broke him in. He looks absolutely ridiculous. Like his legs are nearly touching his knees, um, and he just—he just look he just doesn't look like anything. Like he just—you would never believe that he would have turned out to be as good as he is. So small with not much scope. It's not exactly an ideal endorsement for for Aintree. So in, in addition to getting better, has he got braver as well, or has he? Has he must have found his found his athleticism. Yeah, I mean, he was he was always a very natural jumper. Um, but, like he he always had a correct way of jumping, and he sort of knew knew what scope he had. And each run, he seemed to get better. He was always extremely accurate. Um, and the more we ran him, the better he got. It just seemed to be the, the more he did, the better he got. He's actually got loads of scope for for a relatively small horse. Uh, you've won round the the entry fences on him as well. I mean, you've had so many great moments in your career at the Cheltenham Festival and elsewhere. You're a record-breaking point-to-point rider. Uh, just give me an, an indication as to the the entry thrill relative to all your other achievements. Oh, it's like no other, really. Um, especially on a horse like him who does jump so well. He just there's no other feeling like it. Um, he's he's giving me some great spins around there. And when he won, he, he literally barely made a mistake. He just, it was absolutely brilliant. I had the best ride I've probably ever had off a horse. Um, and, you know, it was it was a great day for all of us. 
And is that where the the national dream really began? Were you beginning to think then? Mm, I wonder. No, <laughs> ne- never, never even dreamt of it. To be honest, um, it wasn't until a couple of people had, had sort of half mentioned it, and we just thought, oh, he'll he'll never get in. Like he's not, he's not rated high enough. And um, my mother-in-law Pepper was always quite anti it. She gets very nervous before he runs anyway. And I think we nearly finished her off a second time at Aintree, and I just thought. The thought of running in the national, she was very anti it, um, and it wasn't until he won the cross country race that it was even thought of really. And I actually said to her a while afterwards, I had a dream last night that I lined up on him in the national, and she said, "Keep dreaming." <laughs> um, so I have, and it's it's yeah, it's still, the dream is still alive. And mm. It's amazing. Much looking forward to it. I know the whole point of pointing community and the amateur racing sphere is rooting for you you know like you wouldn't believe how, how much does that that mean to you having the, the backing of so many people yeah no, it means it means it means a lot and you know, I, had, I don't think i've ever had so many messages after he after he won at cheltenham you know um it's just it's just all a, a dream that's starting to come true and i'm really looking forward to riding him again all right that was that was gina andrews and um, I've known and talked to Gina for many years, but I've never heard her as um, excited and as engaged by uh, any project as this one. And it's not difficult, Lydia, to see why. Funny enough, I thought that after they'd won at the, the December meeting at Cheltenham with the Cross Country Chase. Um, it's such a, a tremendous family story. I really enjoyed listening to Gina recounting, rec- recounting the early years of late night past there. Such a family project. Um, <laughs> starting off as, as a feral homebred, a small, lacking scope, but taking to jumping so naturally, very correct and accurate at his fences. And that's what allowed him has allowed him to scale the heights. There is a, there is a doubt, I suppose, about the stamina because cross-country races at the festival aren't strongly run um, because of all of that twisting and turning that Gina was was talking about. It, it doesn't mean that they are they are held at the same kind kind of gallop but his his affinity for the track and his cleverness and his accuracy is only going to stand him in excellent stead and certainly uh, I'll be rooting for this horse and as the whole uh, british point to point community will be too well and to be honest given the likely shape of the of the grand national he, he might be the horse that everyone in britain is rooting for <laughs> late night pass versus ireland yeah it might just be about that uh, a slightly less um, heartwarming story now. Uh, the Professional Jockeys Association chair, Nick Attenborough, has had to issue a statement off the back of a uh, of a tweet or a post on X, as we should probably call it now, from one of the PJA board members, Neil Callan, who's been on this podcast a few times. You will know that Neil Callan is a man of forthright opinions. He expressed one on social media the other day uh, about a case that, Dave Yates and I referred to briefly yesterday, which was the um, article that had been written by David Walsh in the Sunday Times about Bryony Frost's career and um, her lack of rides and opportunities and the reasons why that might be. Uh, Lydia, what's happened here? Oh, well, Neil Callan posted on X, and I quote, if this was a young male jockey being bullied, would it have the, would it have the same coverage and attention? Question mark, question mark. I think not, double exclamation mark. Hashtag, say what everyone else is thinking. That post was subsequently deleted, and as you say, Nick Attenborough then uh, moved uh, to uh, make a statement that the PJA does not condone or tolerate bullying, bullying nor do the PJA members, Neil included. The PJA has had its own code of conduct in place for almost three years, which lays down the behavioural standards the PJA expects its members to meet. The BHA has subsequently introduced an industry-wide code of conduct, which binds those regulated by the BHA to those same standards. Neil expressed his personal views and opinions on social media. Our code of conduct contains a social media policy, and we have today reminded our board and members of that policy and their responsibility to adhere to it. I mean, it's a it's a bit of crass whataboutery, if you if you don't mind mind me saying, because it, it's very difficult to 
to see an article about somebody who has uh, been a whistleblower, has been proven in a by an independent panel to have been bullied and the subject of uh, prejudicial conduct, and you know want to want to sort of deflect or diminish that uh, particular experience. That doesn't seem right. Um, there, it, the specifics of the case are concerning in that, as David Walsh has highlighted in the Sunday Times, he's looked at uh, Bryony Frost's career pre uh, this case and post this case and a reminder that she was the whistleblower and the victim and seen that it seems to have damaged her career and I think that I think racing should view that with great sadness and with some embarrassment if I'm perfectly honest uh, because th unfortunately that is too often the fate of whistleblowers and I was hoping that there might be some renewal and change after this and that things might be different. Um, the, in the um, article that Peter um, Scargill wrote he makes the point that the PGA received considerable criticism for its handling of the Dunfrost case in 2021. Um, Paul Struthers has been reappointed as PGA chief executive and began his second stint in charge on the 2nd of January and Peter Scargill has already made uh, written a comment piece within the Racing Post, one that I agreed with, that a key uh, point for Paul Struthers, um, a, 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 something he must do, is to establish a point of change from the PGA and the way in which it, it conducted itself during the course of that case and the PGA now. And it needs to ensure that it remains a welcoming organisation to women and other minorities. It's got high profile women among the board and uh, within it, its committees. But of course, not everybody thinks the same as each other. And, uh, you know, what should have been learnt from this particular case is that empathy and compassion go a long way. OK, um, there is a case being heard within the corridors of the BHA's headquarters at the moment, their licensing committee, Lydia, that's pretty much all we can say. The news is that there is no news until there's news. Just tell me a bit more. Yeah, OK, so this is the licensing committee hearing into the suitability of Milton Harris to hold a trainer's licence. We've covered um, the run up to this case quite a bit. It opened yesterday, Monday, at the BHA's headquarters in London. His licence was suspended on the 11th of November as a result of a breach in the conditions of that licence and related matters. His assistant, Tony Charlton, has been handed a temporary licence to train with conditions attached. He's so far sent out two winners. Um, Milton Harris has had... Uh, um, a, a string of brushes with the racing authorities. He started training in 2000. He was very, very successful, built up in spring um, to uh, 2011 at the point where he was uh, had his license removed due to his being made bankrupt. He spent seven years without a license. He resumed training in 2018. And we know that he's had quite a bit of success, particularly lately with juveniles. Uh, Knight Salute, of course, winning that grade one at Aintree in 2022. Uh, the Racing Post has made known in the piece that it's written here today that that at the start of the hearing, the Racing Post had made um, an application to report contemporaneously on the case, but this was refused by the licensing committee. And I should stress that the licensing committee hearings are usually held behind closed doors. They're not like hearings of the disciplinary panel and the appeals board, which are usually held in front of observing journalists who are able to report, sometimes with some restrictions, but generally they are able to report. Chair of the licensing committee, Sarah Crowther Casey, and she is also chair of the judicial panel so she also has oversight over the disciplinary panel and the appeal board she said that the allegations in this case were open quotes sensitive and serious close quotes and so she felt that the presence of the media could potentially compromise the fairness of the hearing she added open quotes we feel that the best way for the public to have a full and fair understanding of the decision reached and the and the reason for it would be in our reasons in due course and she said that those conclusions and reasons would be published open quotes as soon as we can now I, in previous um, decisions made by the licensing committee. This would be pre-Crowther's tenure, but we have no reason to think that it would be any different. They do tend to give very full reasons. And if you go onto the appeal board uh, website, you can pick up a, a previous re reason by the licensing committee about Milton Harris. So we can expect uh, full and frank reasoning, or as frank as they can be, which we'll be able to analyse in due course. Now, as I said on the podcast yesterday, there was quite a turn up in a really warm novice chase at Punchestown over the weekend as Spillane's Tower in the colours of J.P. McManus and trained by Grand National winning trainer uh, Jimmy Mangan defeated the hot pot blood destiny 
who'd been previously so impressive and was so highly touted for Willie Mullins. But there appeared no fluke about it. And the winner is a, a good, long-striding chaser who keeps improving with every start and is in the right hands to do so. Uh, Jimmy is is with me now. Uh, Jimmy, you've handled a lot of good horses over the years. To, to what extent does this one genuinely excite you? Well, he's definitely uh, the classiest horse I've trained, really, you know. He seems, to, uh, from day one when he came to me, he seems to have something special, you know. And hopefully, but he's a big horse and he's very fortunate. He's, he's got a great owner and whatever time he'll take, he'll get, you know. And tell me, when he first came to you, did you did you already have an indication that he was reasonably well thought of? Were you told by Frank Berry or JP, hang on, we've got a nice one for you here, Jimmy? No, no, they just, uh, just Frank Perry, they just said we have a horse here and they sent me this horse and uh, beautiful horse, uh, absolutely brilliantly broken and everything, absolutely looked a million dollars and uh, yeah, from day one he was showing that he, he, he had something, you know. Yeah. And he's got quite an interesting pedigree, this horse as well. Uh, Nori McManus, in fact, bred him, but just looking back through his his page, there's some very smart flat horses in there and some very classy, almost miling, mile and a quarter German flat horses. Can you see that sort of little little bit more pace coming through in him, even though he looks like a big, a big strong chaser? Yeah, he's definitely a horse from, from the last Finn's home. He, he, that pedigree clicks in. He, he finds that extra bit of a gear, which is, which is vital in, in the closing stages, you know? Yeah, he definitely has a, has a classy pedigree, all right, yeah. What I love is that you've got a nice bit of experience into him this season as well. You've already run him four times. How important do you think that is in this in this era when people are, are a bit afraid to, to run good horses an awful lot? Well, that's true. You know, it was, uh, I, I honestly I always thought to, mo- to make a, a good chase, you know, you've got to run them pretty often you can be staying schooling forever and but it's it's nothing to beat it's like a holding playing soccer and you could be training forever but you can't beat a good match and a good race is is, is the finishing touches you know and and you've had loads of experience with good horses before and that's why it struck me that you said he's you know by far the classiest horse i've had everyone will will remember monty's past and although he was a grand national winner he he wasn't short of a of a touch of quality, was he? He wasn't really, no. He was a very sound horse again, Touchwood. And uh, he, yes, he had a great jumper again and uh, stamina to burn. And uh, yeah, look, I, I've been pretty lucky now, really. You know, I kind of castled him. He won the Power Gold Cup for me. He, he beat Big Zeb up there at Fairy House in the Power Gold Cup. And uh, I had stole home. He won the Galway Plate for me. So look, I, I have been pretty lucky now in life as the fellow says you know yeah yeah um connor castle ran 46 times monty's pass ran 57 times of course um the last person to win on connor castle was miss jane mangan i don't i have no idea what happened to her what, what, what and, and just point, point point me in the right direction jimmy Nick, if you don't know, I definitely don't know. No, uh, <laughs> I, I don't see that much of her now. She's, she lives here with us when, when she's around, you know, but uh, look, she's very busy doing the doing doing work like that you do yourself. And, uh, and uh, she, look, she's enjoying life and that's the main thing, you know. Yeah. She, she sure, I mean, she would absolutely loathe me for saying this, but uh, you and Mary must be very proud of what she's achieved over the last few years. Oh, yeah, look, it was incredible, really. You know, you, you, you dream it when you're rare a few kids you'd be hoping that they'd take the right pet and uh funny like you she was mary was getting her jockey's license and i didn't really want her to get a jockey's license for fear she'd get hurt and next thing when she did get it and she was pretty handy in the saddle you know so she wrote a winner for david pipe Dermot weld keegan stone were very good to her as well and uh next thing she kind of said to me one morning look i'm giving up riding oh jesus i said whatever you do don't give up riding and, but look, she knew what she wanted, and well done to her, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's a there's a serious determination there, and it's paid off. She's always very um, self-deprecating. Whenever I ask her to talk about riding or anything like that, she's very deflects any credit. She never never really reminds anyone how how good she actually was when she was when she. I mean, she could have made it right the way to the top if she'd wanted to carry on, couldn't she? 
I think she could have, you know, you know, and uh, look, that, that, that what, what happened in Cheltenham had nothing to do with her giving you up or anything like that, you know. Uh, so just unfortunate what happened in the Christie's auctions that day, you know. But uh, no, she, she knew what she wanted. She, as she said herself, she never wanted to make a career out of writing, you know. Yeah. Yeah. As I said, she'll she'll absolutely kill me for going on this digression. So back to Spillane's Tower. Um, am I right in thinking that you you are not completely bound by the idea of of forcing him to, to Cheltenham or whatever this year? Uh, not really, no. No, um, you know, I, I believe it all up to, to Frank and, and the lads, you know. But uh, look, he, he's a host, has a great races here in Ireland. Super prize money there at Punchestown and Leopardstown and Fairy House. And uh, look, whatever they do, they're not shot the horses anyway, you know, to represent them over there, to represent them over there. But uh, no, he, there's no, there's no panic with this horse. This horse's future is, this guy is, is ahead of him, you know. That was uh, that was Jimmy Mangan there, who's got another good one in Spillane's Tower. And interesting what he said, Lydia, there about the need to get plenty of experience into horses. And he's given this horse four chases already since October, but at the same time saying he's in no mad rush unless he's told to to go to the Cheltenham Festival. And indeed, unless he's told to, no mad rush to, to do anything else like go to Dublin or whatever but there's plenty of races he would quite like to run in between now and the end of the season so um, it's that great combination is it lots of experience but not over facing your horse absolutely I really really like this horse I was so impressed by how easily he got on top having been patiently ridden just looking slightly out pace suddenly as he turned for home at Punchestown you thought Oh my goodness. Well, if he gets over these last two fences, I think it's all over because he seems to be suddenly traveling really powerfully. And he even got the lesser jump at the last compared to Blood Destiny, who's not as small, not as scopy, not as an impressive looking animal, younger. Um, uh, he got the, he was asked, he reached and got the better jump. But, you know, Spillane's Tower just came through really strongly. I, I love the way he's being trained. Uh, and I suspect that as a result of that, they will have a better, more enduring, long-term prospect. Um, yeah, very, very exciting horse. I really love him. Yeah, as I said, 57 times Monty's pass ran. The Grand National winner. All power to, to Jimmy Mangan. Ile Francais has got an entry at the Cheltenham Festival, which we were not anticipating. Oh, that would be good. It would be good. It's the right race as well, in my opinion. I think the Turners is absolutely ideal for him. I feel like he's a sort of galloping Duchamp type horse. I have no doubt that he's, he, I mean, he stays three miles. We know that from how, how hard and strong he hit the line, having set really good, strong fractions in the Quarto Star. He, you know, he will stay in time. But at the moment, the way his race is, the exuberance, the way he attacks, if he were to run at Cheltenham as a novice, I absolutely think that the Turners is the right place wow. to go. It's obvious the a fallback option though isn't it because yeah it's or toy april and then the grand steeplechase to paris on the may the 19th let's talk about small fields though which the turners does throw up occasionally because mm -hmm. um yesterday we had the first abandonment of a race on the grounds that there were only three declared and it was either a class four five or six race this came in uh, on new year's day but it's only just been noticed by a few people just a quick one this lydia really right call wrong call right call um uh, the the only i mean the, i think as the the way that the the rule is is written it is correct i mean i realize that for the individual uh, trainers and connections that is going to be frustrating because they've marked out this race and that's the one they've decided to go for however it, racing is has to be a spectator sport it has to maintain interest for the outer world for its long-term health and because the, the rule is written to address uh, races that should really be competitive below a certain level i.e they're not developmental races which are key and they're not races above a certain level where you know we are also struggling for 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 runners but are are much more important you know like the pattern and just below the pattern so i think it was the right call i think it's been a, a long time coming th this rule and um i do support it but as i said if it was m applied more widely to pattern races and developmental races like say novice chases i wouldn't have agreed with it the rule current as it stands is well written well a, a lot of you will be familiar with the name uh, sparky bevis uh, richard bevis um, known to everybody as Sparky, has been a massive cog in the Nigel Twiston Davis training wheel for nearly two decades now, has been head lad there, I think, for about 18, 19 years. 
he had a, a horrible accident at, at the weekend and is in intensive care. Uh, Fergal O'Brien, who was with Nigel Twiston Davis for a long time before setting up on his own, has uh, has been in touch uh, because Fergal, I know you wanted to to raise awareness of this for those who didn't know, but also to try and uh, raise some funds as well for for Sparky's family. Just tell me a little bit more. Yeah, um, Sparky's uh, uh, son will set up a GoFundMe page. Um, look, very difficult time for all of them, for all of us, really, you know, that are closest to, to, to Richard. Um, uh, you know, we've been friends since we were 70. I was 17, he was 18, uh, from Captain Foster's. So, um, yeah, this is a big blow to, to, to us all, to his, to his wife, Dom, and, and like I say, son, William. Uh, and he's he's three brothers. So um yeah, look he he's he's a he's a fighter but um and he's he's doing he's doing okay at the minute, he's holding his own. Um but he you know, he's not in a good way and, and you know, he'll be be a long time before he, he's back to anywhere near normal. And he was he was alone, wasn't he, on the farm, so no one's entirely sure exactly how this has happened, but as you said he's he suffered some really significant life altering injuries. Yeah, he has. Yeah, he's got a significant uh, skull fracture and facial fractures, and and uh, yeah, one or two other bits and bobs of his eye and stuff. So, um, but look, he's in the right place. They 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 really looked after him, um, and um, yeah, look, it's just if we can try and get a few few quid together for 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 Dom and, and Will and 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 Richard, just make life a little bit easier. Um, that's what we're trying to do, and and uh, yeah, he you know he's he's a massive part of you know of what what goes on at Naunton the farm um you know imperial commander he rode that every day that uh, that it was there you know when he won the gold cup and uh most recently um uh simon and isaac muir's uh gray horse at bristol and mike so um it would be great to to if the racing i know the racing crew and um and we'll raise a few quid for him yeah um fergal thanks so much thanks very much thanks nick well, very sad news that racing in Macau is set to, to come to an end after a pretty uh, vibrant few decades. And this follows hot on the heels of, of Singapore racing closing as well. So two significant Asian racing strongholds and jurisdictions that have um, thrown up plenty of stories through the last four or five decades will race no more. One man who's been a successful trainer in both jurisdictions is a Claude Charlet, who latterly you'll know as a, an expert on French racing, on racing TV and elsewhere. But Claude trained in Singapore with success and was dual champion trainer in Macau um, until uh, 1999 when um, China uh, took control of, of Hong Kong once again. Uh, Claude, uh, tell me a little bit about your memories of, of training in Macau and, and what kind of place it was, what kind of competition uh, you enjoyed there in its heyday. Yes, I mean, to be fair, when Macau started, I was uh, called for the job. I think it was in uh, 80, 88. Uh, in 88 and I was one of the 14 trainers with all different nationality German trainer, American trainer, Australian trainer one French trainer I mean English trainer was Keystone if I remember and uh, I was there for five years quite successfully with Stanley one of my main owner who was the king of the casino in Macau, he used to own 33 casino at the time and he only passed away about three years ago and uh, Macau started quite badly it was only I would say maybe 40 50 horses condition was terrible stable was no more or less no stable but we managed to end up to have aircon stable and to have top horses to go to have areas like the Macau uh, the Cup the Derby and uh, we were having most of the Hong Kong owners who couldn't get a license to own horses in Hong Kong coming to Macau and make Macau uh, a success. Uh, and what's your reaction to the news that the race in Macau will, will end and, and what do you think's behind it? I think it's very sad. It's probably political, I would say. I don't believe they really lost money because, as you know, the Chinese are gambling in in their hearts and uh, I can't really see why I think it's something to do probably with the government now China has been taking over uh, they probably don't really want 
too much publicity about gambling. Uh, Hong Kong, as you know, is very, very successful. And I think probably Hong Kong is enough. In now China, who's been taking over Macau in 1999, <coughs> and Hong Kong in 1997, I think is enough bad publicity for gambling with Hong Kong at the moment. And just in terms of your own personal enjoyment of, of training there, as I said, you trained in Singapore with success, you trained in France, you trained in the UK. Um, I'm guessing you had to have your wits about you to do well. Well, I mean, I had no choice. I was there, and uh, it was, you had to fight for your life. I mean, it was a shock to the culture. I mean, to be fair, the Chinese culture is totally different. Uh, at the time, it was half Portuguese, half Chinese uh, involved with the government. Uh, I enjoy every minute of it when he start to take off. I mean, a year after I was there, we managed to have proper stable, uh, proper, proper, proper gallop on the track. Uh, proper owners or the main owner of Hong Kong uh, to only name one Dr. Frank Chow was very famous Archie Da Silva who had the fast, uh, fastest sprinter in Hong Kong used to have horses with me in Macau I mean I had some terrific people I mean all the best people were in, uh, owners from Hong Kong used to have horses in Macau and he was really I mean you couldn't enjoy more no problem about bills everything was directly uh, run by the Macau Jockey Club used to organize all the, all the financial side of it and you're just there to try to perform as well as you can and to win all the best races all right that was claude charlie dual champion trainer in macau and of mm. course formerly a successful trainer in singapore as well macau and singapore both no longer mm. Lydia, which is is rather sad i can't profess to know an awful lot about why this has happened no, but like you, I feel great sadness because these are two significant places in which horse racing took place in Asia. And you would feel that, I mean, certainly my assumption has always been that uh, the local cultures have very much supported horse racing, enjoy gambling. Um, and it, it seems to me a real worry. I read the Blood Horse piece about it in which there, somebody who was a former long-time Macau Jockey Club employee has alleged ongoing mismanagement um, and talked about, you know, how can you fail with a, a racetrack within the biggest gambling country in the world? Well, um, you know, uh, I, I saw some lingering hope within the various articles I've read about it that maybe horse racing might be revived there. And I was also pleased to see at least there was some um, some it appears that considered thought has been given what, to what is going to happen to the horses um, that enable them to move to mainland China or also to Australia or New Zealand, because the turnaround is very quickly. And if you compare it to Singapore, whose last day is going to be October the 5th of this year, this is very short notice for people who whose livelihoods rely on 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 that sport and also the horses who's who also rely on those people um so you know i i was glad to see the uh, the uh, uh, emphasis on horse welfare horse well-being but it, it's clearly a, a hugely difficult time for anyone who relies on that sport for their livelihood well 2024 marks the 20th anniversary of the inception of what used to be called the Godolphin Southern Stable Staff Awards has now been rebranded as it has been worldwide, the Godolphin Thoroughbred Industry Employee Awards. Um, it's been a, a particular personal honour to be uh, chairing the judges for the last few years. Hugh Anderson is the Managing Director of Godolphin and joins me now. And this year's ceremony is going to be an extra special one, Hugh. Um, just tell me why and a little about this year's guest of honour. Well, yes, uh, morning, Nick. It is going to be a, a fantastic event. It's the 20th anniversary of the awards, as you, as you rightly say, and we're absolutely delighted that we'll be welcoming uh, the Princess Royal, uh, Princess Anne, to uh, present the awards and really to participate in an event that I think has grown in stature over the 20 years and is one of the, quite honestly, one of the best events of the year and something we're very, very proud to be associated with. You know, I'm uh, I'm up here at uh, you know in a racing yard at the moment, Alton Paddocks. It's uh, only just got light. It's very cold. It's a hell of a long way away from from Santa Anita, and I think uh, you know what you see in these awards is a recognition that yes, horse racing is about um, what you see on the racetrack and the jockey and the trainer, but you know behind every horse that's on a track, there's a 
long story and a long tale and the horse has been bred it's been foaled it's been cared for weaned broken in ridden every day it's a huge effort thousands and thousands of people in our industry and it's a, it's it's quite a hard life for a lot of people but they love what they're doing and it's always been the case that right from the beginning um, his highness uh, sheikh mohammed wanted recognition for those people who sort of are behind the scenes but who actually make this fabulous sport happen you, you know i gave painted a little picture of what it's like up here today and the, the two-year-olds are you know, you've been broken in and they're very green and i watch these riders with horses that can be sort of spinning around in uh, on, on the ice their skill is uh, absolutely first class but you're right that actually it, it isn't just the riders uh, it, it's what happens on the on the stud farms it's the administration you know getting a horse to a race on the other end of the country um, it, the driving, the care at every level. It's, it's never ceases to amaze me after you know, nearly 20 years in the industry myself, you know, quite how much is involved in what many people probably just assume is a sort of two minute activity of a horse, uh, of a horse running at a racetrack. And, um, you know, we rely on people, uh, as much of course, as we, we rely on horses, if, if not more so. And, you know, we're just delighted that, People are recognised in this in this way, and and for Princess Anne to be there, you know, nobody understands the, the the horse and the people involved in our sport better than her. And it's going to be a fabulous evening, and I have to say, Nick, a huge thank you to you and the other judges because you've got the hardest job of, of, of the whole uh, uh, event in in actually working out which one of these uh, fabulous uh, contestants deserves to win. Well, that is a is a massive pleasure. Um, thank you, Hugh, to the Racing Post, Racing TV, and Ascot Racecourse who've all supported this. And I'm sure you'll you'll join me in saying a, a big thank you to the team at the BHA who uh, who work very hard at administering these and, and putting them together. And they don't get an awful lot of thanks for an awful lot in the sport, and sometimes <laughs> rightly so. But uh, on this one, I'll say, yeah, uh, that's a big effort. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. It's it's a team effort and, and we're delighted to be involved. Look forward to seeing you there. Hugh Anderson, Managing Director of Godolphin. Thanks so much. All right, it is Tuesday. So, uh, as ever, we go around the bloodstock world with our friends at Weatherby's. And it's a little while since we've headed down to South Africa, but we can do so today. Uh, they're in the midst of the feature Cape racing season now. And we've not that long had the King's Plate meeting at uh, Kenilworth that was just over a week ago and really pleased to check in with Justin Fermark again who's the racing and bloodstock executive for Cape Racing and uh, Justin every communication I get from South Africa at the moment seems to suggest that we might be on a little bit of an upswing is that a view that you would share yeah most definitely Nick it is uh, racing has got a whole new energy about it and uh, it's very exciting to be a part of uh, the viewers and uh, racing folk from up north that would have seen the pictures on their television feeds from the new Hollywood Bets Kenilworth race course would have seen uh, new infrastructure and a new racing experience, which is all part of what's going on down here, which is which is really exciting. And from a bloodstock point of view, the the yearling market, although you know the numbers um, in comparison to Europe are obviously a lot lower in terms of uh, exchange rate and um, horses sold, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. For our own little market down here, the the yearling prices have been up, um, you know, in, in staggering amounts, uh, 20, 30, 35 percent in some uh, yearling auctions. Which, which has been fantastic. So um, everyone is, is very, very keen to buy horses in this country and race them, which is, is leading to demand in the yearling auctions. And how is that being reflected in terms of the public popularity of the, of the sport? Are you seeing people attend the races and what sort of demographic? Absolutely. We had a sold-out venue for the Cape Guineas meeting, which was on the 16th of December, and uh, that was made up of a demographic of really uh, local type of horse racing viewers, which would not normally be exposed to the race course. We have our own set of, um, I, thought, I think you could 
compare it to the Carnival in Rio de Janeiro, where we have our local um, coloured community, which has uh, groups called the Carpsa Klopsa, which do a very similar carnival to what happens in Rio. And we've managed to come up with an arrangement which them, which brings uh, brings them to the track, and they do their their annual um, parades uh, at our racetrack, and and the crowds that come with it. So we had fifteen thousand people, which for for our racing is is a big number, and uh, expose the industry to people that are are not normally here. And then obviously we have a big community of swallows, as we call them, which uh, includes the likes of Amanda Skiffington and Bjorn Nielsen and um, people that you will be very familiar with that love to spend their time down in Cape Town in the summer. And um, they're they're all here in their numbers this year as well. John Ferguson is here and um, a whole bunch of people that obviously attend our sale next week and love to attend uh, Mrs. Rupert's flagship race day, which is the Lormorans King's Plate, and they they sort of become accustomed to doing December and January in, in Cape Town in South Africa, which just adds a, another dynamic to our racing and our sales. Uh, and I gather that Mrs. Rupert uh, won her own sponsored race, which shouldn't come as a, a massive surprise, but tell me a little bit about how that, that shook down. Yeah, so that was that was really interesting because she's been a headline sponsor of the Lormorans King's Plate for I think it's about twenty years now, and uh, despite owning some of the better horses in in South African racing history over the last decade or so, she's never actually won that race before. So it was a sculpt that they wanted to grab, and um, they've got a horse called Charles Dickens, who is uh, by Trippy, who was a stallion that she imported here um, out of a mare that they that they purchased and have bred with so a homebred entire who's gone on to win the most prestigious wait for age race in the country and who will go on to stand at the stud they've already syndicated him for stud in the week after his his fantastic win and uh yeah and i quote her in her interview she she said that charles dickens would be the future of drakenstein and um obviously a, a highlight and a pinnacle of her racing career and he's yeah, i mean he's just a phenomenal horse it's not um, you know, I come from a handicapping background and I'm very realistic about the, the ability and the ratings that horses achieve here. And it's, it's not often that we get a horse who could be of international mm-hmm. standard. And um, I think that he is most definitely a, a miler who, who would hold his own at the Breeders' Cup or in Hong Kong or even in Group 1 level over 1,600 metres and shorter in, in the UK. So he, he's a really fantastic horse and he would have put up easily 120 or 121 type of number yeah with his performance last week which is which is really good so if i said to you sort of horse chestnut ippy tomby soft falling rain i'm in that kind of ballpark yeah he's got to be uh, we we obviously have this conversation down here with with racing folk quite regularly and i i always like to throw um variety club into the mix because people you know, we tend to have shortish memories but variety club was a horse here who, who won a couple of king's plates and he was by far the best uh, miler of his generation and then he went to hong kong and won the international beating able friend by like four lengths so you know when you're doing that on the global stage i think you got to put him up there with horse chestnut and i, I think charles dickens comes into the conversation with horses like ipitombi and soft falling rain if he was ever to get out and Unfortunately, I don't think that's on the cards with, for him um, with protocols that have just become more onerous. And uh, obviously, a, a, a career at stud is, is uh, what's attractive to Drakenstein at the moment. Yeah, it's such a shame that we can't see South African horses compete more regularly on the, on the international stage. Do you ever see a, a chink of light at the end of that particular tunnel? Are we sitting on um, on hope, waiting for a report from the EU. They came and uh, audited our facilities um, at the latter part of 2022. We were hoping to have word by now, but uh, obviously the bureaucracy and red tape um, around the European Union is... Uh, the reality is that the wheels turn slowly. So we believe the report was a favourable one on the correspondence we have received from them. Uh, and now it's about the member states voting on opening it up and accepting horses on a direct uh, direct import. So we sit waiting. It's a, it is very frustrating to sit in silence and not hear anything. And as you say, the demand is high and we, we're seeing... Like, 
a huge peak in interest from Australian breeders, where obviously the market is so is so big, to to secure our racing mares because um, our race fillies have produced top horses over there in recent years. Via Africa is the the dam of in the Congo, who is uh, who was a top Group One horse there. Um, so yeah, it is it is frustrating, but uh, we're hoping for light at the end of the tunnel this year. I, I note, I note with some pride, I've got to say, and I, but I do have to thank Nick Craven for this that your Cape Premier yearling sale taking place um, Thursday the 25th of January. The 140 yearlings sold, um, quite a lot of them are sold by podcast guests. So Susan uh, Rowett with Vastfontaine, Main Chance, Andreas Jacobs, Clower Vly, John Costa, uh, Dracontine, Kevin Somerville, Ridgemont, Craig, Keys Vetter. We've had them all. We've had them all on the, on the show, Justin. Very good. And it just shows you, like, um, even though we're in our little bubble down here in the southern tip of Africa, we do have very big international players who um, who are very, very involved in the industry here. And it just shows you, it's, I think it's a feather in our cap that despite maybe the racing not being as prestigious or as well internationally known, to have people like um, Susan and Dr. Jacobs taking the place as seriously as they do and Amanda Skiffington and Fiona Carmichael, John Ferguson, etc. always coming down to buy horses. The Doyles were here last year and uh, we hope to see um, them here this year as well. Uh, it, it, it is quite exciting. And I think a lot of it is testament to the city that Cape Town is. And uh, it's a massive tourist destination. And obviously, it doesn't harm having 30-degree uh, sunshine all, all day and all month. You're selling it to me. It's not 30-degree sunshine here, that's for sure. You mentioned the Doyles. They're, of course, famous for, amongst other things, the purchase relatively inexpensively of the brilliant Canford Cliffs, who's been a, a big stallion success. And he'll have yearlings represented in the sale. Um, which do you think are going to be the real high spots of this? I think we're we're in a position in the bloodstock market share in the country where the the progeny by the two stallions, give me the green light and Vercingetrix, really dominate the top of the um, figure boards, and uh, we have fourteen give me the green lights and seventeen Vercingetrixes, which is a big number. Obviously, thirty one of one hundred and thirty catalogued, almost a quarter of the book is by those those size, and uh, that's that is pretty good for us because obviously we have a select sale here an early one only 136 catalogued which um, obviously would sound like a real small sale but that is the intent of it it's more of a boutique select sale for early forward type of horses to have a yearling sale in january is is not something that south african breeders which is a more middle distance classic breeding jurisdiction are quite used to so you know we're looking at early foals that are going to sprint and run as juveniles and um, you know we we were very strict on inspections this year to try and make the sale as, as strong as possible and um, we've got some fantastic female lines there from great breeders like Susan's Farsfontein State Ridgemont involved as well the Kisvita family and Andreas Jacobs' main chance farms has sent pretty much the, bed, the, the, the best he's bred this year and uh, we're looking forward to to obviously um, having a very very successful sale and uh, just being part of what's going on with the increase in yearling prices and we are blessed to have the Hong Kong Jockey Club come out and buy at the sale uh, every year and they'll be on the uh, on the lookout for horses again this year which is fantastic for us. All right my thanks to Justin. Lydia is still with me and has a tip for you but I think you're edging you're looking towards Lingfield aren't you in the Winter Million? I am because because of the abandonments today um, I am edging edging in that direction so I'm going on the Friday for the Mayor's Novices Handicap Chase and this is a horse that I have been following all season Carol's Pass trained by Amy Murphy I'm hoping she's going to run here I, I definitely feel she's got a decent handicap in her ultimately I think she'll stay further than this two and a half miles but I think she is well placed to win and what should be a really competitive addition so this is the 150 at Lingfield on Friday Carol's pass for Amy Murphy. All right, Lydia, thanks so much. Thank you very much for listening. That was Tuesday, January the 16th. Uh, my voice threatening to give out, but it's just about held on. Uh, we will uh, we will catch up again this time tomorrow. Bye for now. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Thank you.